I, I just want to ask, uh, how many Baby Yoda jokes should we make in this episode? <laughs> None. I don't I don't. I don't think enough people are referencing that. Did Did you notice? Like, I refused to call it that on on the podcast with TJ. Oh, <laughs> you would not call it Baby Yoda. Yes. No, because it's, it's not. I mean, that's his name. Like, I'm like, I don't care that it's species is a name. That's why I was like, I was like, you know, uh, the Mandalorian and the child. I'm pretty sure. Like, I'm just like, I'm not gonna call it that. Like, I hate Little that. My baby merchandising gimmick. That's what I call it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I call it little baby fart baby. Baby, baby, <laughs> baby merch. Yeah. Uh. Take it away, there. What's your question? Why do you guys talk about comics so much? Yeah. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? Eighteen years. <laughs> Toothbrush is still fresh. <laughs> Did they have sex? Because, I mean, she Hulk, you know. Damn it, Tony. We went an entire episode without mentioning Maggot, and then you ruined it. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read him? Batman's got his little fishbowl on his head, but <laughs> Superman doesn't. Cyclops was right. Except when he was wrong. Master Bruce, you are calm. I'm going to silently judge all of you. Shut up, beast. <laughs> Shut up. Like, I've read it so many times, you know, it pretty much just crumbled in my hands. Come on, old chum. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? See, I didn't hate Hellcat until you made me read this miniseries. It was just a joke, but you made it real, Justin. No. You made it real. I, I prefer my Dazzler singing, like, Creedence Clearwater Revival songs at Australian bars. Titty discs. And... <laughs> That's what to be known as from now on. Like, I'm going to go <laughs> into the Marvel Wikipedia and edit that. Whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> it get better than that. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? Hey guys, welcome back to another nanite-rific fantastic episode of Fan Holes Comics. Motherfucker, do you read them? Hey, what's up guys? This is Derek. Derek WC, I'm going to be one of your hosts tonight, and I am not alone, I am joined by three, count them, three of my fellow fanholes, and we've got a very special guest tonight, so first I'm going to have the fanholes shout out and let everybody know who's here tonight, and then we'll introduce you to our super special guest for this episode, so go ahead and shout out guys, let everybody know who's here tonight. Hey, it's Mike, and I have the bad skin. Hey, this is Justin, and I am here. Hey guys, this is Tony, and my name is Gilad. Come with me if you want to. Oh, never mind. And, of course, we are not alone. We've got a special guest. I, I, I needed someone in my back pocket to discuss what we're going to get into tonight. So we are introducing, from Earth Destruction Directive, we have Luke Giaconetti here on the line to talk with us about some Valiant Comics goodness. Hey, what's up, Luke? Hey, Derek, thanks for having me on, guys. It's always an opportunity to talk Valiant. I mean, I even invaded an Image Comics podcast to talk about Valiant last year, so I, I am super excited. I'm feeling great. Uh, chance to revisit uh, a Valiant miniseries that I really enjoyed, so I'm just eager to talk Valiant here, my my favorite comics publisher. Awesome, awesome. See, I, and, and, you know, that's that's why I do it. I pick, I pick the folks who are going to enjoy discussing what we're going to be talking about and everything. And, and basically what we're talking about tonight is uh, Valiant Entertainment's four-issue miniseries titled, appropriately enough, The Valiant. And this is basically, I'm, I'm just going to kind of read like the trade dress, and then I kind of wrote my own synopsis for what's going on. And it, it's kind of a twofold thing. Like, you know, of course, I always say on this show, 
that my secret nefarious master evil plan is and always will be to get Mike and Justin to read more Valiant comic books. Now, how successful I am in doing that is is probably, you know, minimal, but I did get them to read a Shadow Man comic book when we did our, our musical podcast episode and everything, and I've kind of been pushing for a little while. At some point, I, I really do want to read Unity on this show and talk about it and everything, like the original Valiant Unity crossover, because I really enjoy that. But I was kind of racking my brain on maybe what we could do to, I guess, quote-unquote, celebrate the feature film release of Bloodshot. And probably as you're listening to this now, the feature film Bloodshot, starring The Busta, should be in theaters as you're listening to this. So I was kind of trying to figure out what kind of Bloodshot-related comic books could we discuss and everything. And so what I ended up picking was the series The Valiant because, as the trade dress says, this is an entirely self-contained, new reader-friendly comics event spotlighting Bloodshot, Eternal Warrior, Geomancer, and a cast of hero and villains from across the Valiant universe. The Valiant is a visionary new adventure from three of the greatest creative talents in comics today. And so, basically, this is written by Jeff Lemire and Matt Kent, and the penciler is... Paolo Rivera, and the inker is Joe Rivera, and the letterer is Dave Lamphere. And the trade dress basically goes on to say, a battle ten millennia in the making is about to begin with an all-new standalone volume from New York Times bestseller writers Jeff Lemire and Matt Kent and Eisner Award-winning artist Paolo Rivera. The Eternal Warrior has protected the Earth for more than 10,000 years. A master of countless weapons and long-forgotten martial arts, he is guided by the Geomancers, those who speak for the Earth. During his long watch, the Eternal Warrior has failed three times. Each time, the Geomancer was killed and a new dark age for humanity began each time he was unable to stop the immortal enemy, a monstrous force of nature, a civilization killer, a horror that appears differently each time it arrives and whose seemingly only purpose is to bring disorder and darkness to the world. Now the time has come for the immortal enemy to return once more, but this time the eternal warrior will be ready. This time he has a force greater than any single warrior. This time he has the valiant. So... We follow Gilead Anipata, the eternal warrior throughout the ages, as he tries and fails to defend his geomancer charges from an immortal enemy that takes many shapes and forms. From the time of the Mayans up to the Crusades, Gilead is plagued by his eternal failure. In modern day, we are introduced to Kay McHenry, a young woman who is the current day geomancer, a guardian of the earth who possesses an enigmatic connection and can speak to the planet. She is confiding to Gilad's even longer-lived older brother, Aram Anipata, better known as Armstrong of the duo Archer and Armstrong. Meanwhile, Neville Alcott, MI6 liaison to the planet's superheroes, has sent in one of his agents, Bloodshot, to obtain a mysterious package from his former master's Project Rising Spirit somewhere around the Pacific Rim. While Bloodshot's nanites allow him to quickly recover from any gunfire assaults from the ground troops defending the location, he can also use them to quote-unquote talk to one of the two larger mech suits currently attacking him. Bloodshot manages to take control of one unit and use that to shoot down the second unit and recover the package. In Lyrum, Colorado, Kay tries to heal the area from a plague that she can sense from the voices of the planet. 
when a strange blackened decayed vegetation erupts from the ground the zorn security guards at the local oil rig mistake k as the cause of the disturbance and shoot her in the shoulder the oil rig then comes crashing down and explodes Elsewhere, Gilad, the Eternal Warrior, is telling Eric of Dacia, also known as Exo Man of War, that he will need a lot of help in the upcoming conflict. As Kay clutches her wounded shoulder and Bloodshot oversees the return of the package to MI6, the oil field where the explosion occurred reveals a monstrous, misshapen creature, yet another form of the unstoppable immortal enemy. Six hours earlier, Colin King, also known as Ninjak, is on a stealth mission somewhere in the Arctic Circle. Ninjak kills three of the four guards, leaving one alive so he can gain entry using the breathalyzer feature of the security door. His objective is to free a man, an ancient master codebreaker, appropriately enough only known by the codename Breaker. Gilad is also on the scene, and Breaker remembers him from the Great War. On the flight home, Neville shows Gilad footage of the immortal enemy, and his reaction of fear is something all of his colleagues, Ninjak included, have never seen from him before. With Exo Manivore off-planet, the plane changes course to rescue Kay from the immortal enemy. Kay is on the run, recollecting a children's storybook her father would read to her called The Littlest Princess and the Twilight Kingdom. In the story, the princess is left on her own in the castle when the king goes off to search for the missing queen. However, the king's oldest nemesis, Mr. Flay, a nefarious old man who wears a suit with flaps, a bowler hat, and a cane, comes to terrify and torture the little princess. Preying on Kay's worst fears, the immortal enemy now comes to Kay as a real-life version of Mr. Flay. Kay flees from Mr. Flay as he pursues, and luckily, Gilad arrives on the scene in time to plunge his axe right into Flay's face. Unfortunately, Ninjak, also now on the scene, has fallen prey to the immortal enemy's machinations. Ninjak is left paralyzed as the enemy shows him visions of his mother as a Rokurobi, the yokai woman with the long neck. This leaves Gilad open to attack when he attempts to snap Ninjak out of it. The immortal enemy, enjoying the form of Mr. Flay, continues to pursue Kay. However, another part of the children's story involved a strong and brave white knight coming to the little princess's aid when all hope appeared lost. At this point, we learn that Ninjak has had bloodshot deployed onto the scene. He serves as Kay's white knight and defends her against the immortal enemy. A runaway log truck slams into Mr. Flay while also severing Bloodshot's arm. Bloodshot tells Kay not to worry as it'll heal and the two are now on the run. Back at MI6 headquarters, Neville is on site with one of his other super agents, Amanda McKee, also known as Livewire, when Ninjak declares the situation an Omega-level event. Neville stares at his monitor screens full of agents and appears to have the notion to call all hands on deck. While Breaker is busy decoding the package, Gilad faces down the immortal enemy with the entire Valiant Universe. The core members of the Unity team, Exo Man of War, Ninjak, and Livewire, along with Gilad, are present. Archer, Armstrong, Dr. Mirage, the Generation Zero kids, G.I.N.G.R., the Harbingers, Faith, Peter Stanchek, and Torque, the Hardcore, Punk Mambo, Mary Maria Archer, Ivar Timewalker, Quantum, Woody, and last but not least, Vincent Van Gogh. 
Meanwhile, Bloodshot and Kay hold up in an abandoned shopping mall. Under extreme duress, the two try to get to know one another, and Kay mentions her powers feel weird around Bloodshot. The Valiant heroes attack the immortal enemy in waves, with Exo Manowar and G-I-N-G-R delivering the final attack. Regrettably, their onslaught has produced zero results. The immortal enemy strikes back, playing on the group's worst fears, and renders the entire squad useless. Bloodshot dresses Kay's shoulder wound, and the two share some beef jerky, despite Kay's initial vegan protestations. Gilad is the last man standing, but not for much longer. Neville is advised that Breaker has finally cracked a code to opening the package while monitoring the disappointing results of the ongoing battle. With Gilad finally defeated, Kay manages to pull out some of Bloodshot's nanites, but then gets a horrible feeling in the pit of her stomach that makes her hunch over in pain. Kay can feel, with her geomancer powers, that Mr. Flay has found them in the shopping mall. Sometime in a distant dystopian future, Gilad, the Eternal Warrior, is still fighting against the immortal enemy. As he fights on, the future Gilad sends what we now recognize as the package back in the past to be located by Bloodshot and decoded by Breaker in MI6. In present day, Breaker releases a holographic message from the future Gilad, stating the only one who can open the package containing the immortal enemy's undoing will be the present day Gilad. Back at the shopping mall, Bloodshot shoots at Mr. Flay to little effect. Flay snaps Bloodshot's neck and tosses him away like a rag doll. Bloodshot, not to be undone, shoots Flay in the head and twists his snapped neck back into proper alignment. When Flay tries to uncover the memories of Bloodshot's deepest fear, he is shocked to discover that Bloodshot has no memories and thus no fears to prey upon as he unloads his pistol into Flay's face over and over again. Momentarily taken aback, the two use his opportunity to flee from Flay. Present Day contends to fight on before Ninjak convinces him to come back to MI6 and see what is inside the package which only he can open. Bloodshot throws a grenade at the immortal enemy, now in his more demonic form. He uses a forklift to block three doors and vows to fight the enemy so a crying K can make a break for it and run away. However, K refuses to leave Bloodshot to fight the immortal enemy alone, and the enemy is overjoyed that a geomancer has some spine after all these years. He then rips out her spine to indulge his twisted sense of humor. With Kay dying, Flay leaves the earthly plane, and Kay's dying request is to know Bloodshot's real name. Bloodshot gives her the only name he's been told, Ray Garrison. Kay laughs that her name rhymes with his as she dies. Kay removes all the nanites from Bloodshot's body, restoring him to be completely human. With Kay dead and buried, the package is revealed to have been the geomancer of the far future, sent back in time to hide her from the immortal enemy. Bloodshot, now merely a human man, Ray Garrison, has gone into hiding to escape the agent life, and Gilead Anipada is left with a little girl geomancer in his charge to protect and defend at all costs. This is Tokyo, once a city of six million people. What has happened here was caused by a force which, up until a few days ago, was entirely beyond the scope of man's imagination. Tokyo, a smoldering memorial to the unknown. An unknown which at this very moment still prevails and could at any time lash out with its terrible destruction anywhere else in the world. 
Hi folks, Luke Giaconetti here. I'd like to ask you a few questions. Do you like giant monsters, or as they're called in Japan, Daikaiju? Monsters like Godzilla, Rodan, Gamera, King Ghidorah, or Mothra? Do you like more obscure monsters, such as Gappa or Yangari? Do you like giant heroes like Ultraman, or super robots like the Shogun Warriors? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then I think you might like my podcast, Earth Destruction Directive. I'm a dedicated fan of all things Daikaiju, and I'd like to share that with all of you. Please check out Earth Destruction Directive at twotruefreaks.com. Earth Destruction Directive, where we turn your Daikaiju dreams into city-smashing reality. I know that's not, like, short, but hopefully it was a pretty decent synopsis for The Valiant. And I guess I'll just start off with, I followed Valiant comics back in the 90s, especially with the Unity crossover, and read a lot of those books, including Bloodshot. I think when they tried to revive some of those characters, the more licensed ones that were at Dark Horse, like Solar, Man of the Atom, Magnus, and Turok, I tried to read some of those and catch up on them and everything. But then I think when Valiant Entertainment kind of broke out, I'm thinking around like 2012, I didn't quite pick up on that. But since I was really familiar with, I I really do like Jeff Lemire a lot. I'm going to probably Mike more than anyone knows. I, I kind of dig Jeff Lemire and, you know, I, I, I liked his work on animal man and, you know, I enjoyed reading justice league United and, and some of the green arrow stuff and all that stuff that he did for DC, you know, some of the swamp thing, you know, animal man crossover stuff. So when I saw his name was attached to a, a valiant comic book and it was supposed to be a good jumping on point for new readers, I, I got really attracted to that. And then also I was pretty familiar with, Paolo Rivera from his work on Daredevil, and I liked his work on Daredevil a lot, so I thought it was, you know, I was like, wow, a really great writer, a really great artist, and they're sort of, you know, to me, this was my reintroduction to the Valiant characters as far as since I had last really followed them, so for me, this was kind of like a, a good I don't know, like, this was something, I, I enjoyed the miniseries a lot, and I will say I did go on to read at least Lemire's work on, like, you know, Bloodshot Reborn, and I think I read some of Bloodshot USA, but I kind of lost track of it after that. So that's kind of why Luke's here. But yeah, like, that's pretty much my my thing with this. Luke, why don't you go into, like, what your your kind of history with, I guess, the, the Valiant Entertainment side of it is, and maybe you can compare that to, you know, because I know, I know you're a longtime reader of both, like, the original valiant comics and then i i'm not exactly sure how you got into the the revival exactly though yeah sure so like you say i got into comics in like 1991 1992 so i was there very early on in the original valiant uh, i was the right age for it i was you know born in 1980 so i was 12 years old in 1992 so i was the right age for for image and valiant but i read a lot of valiant back in the day a lot of eternal warrior shadow man archer armstrong that kind of stuff and so when Valiant first started making news that Valiant Entertainment was going to be an, an entity and that they were going to bring back the original Valiant characters, I, I remember following that on like Newsarama and Comic Book Resources uh, back in the day. 
And then the year before they launched, they actually had a booth at HeroesCon in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I remember going and I was talking to, I, I'm, I'm blanking on his last name, but his first name is Dinesh, and I, I, Sham Danaze, I think is his, is his last name, and I'm sure I'm butchering that, who was the, original, the initial publisher of Valiant Entertainment. And I remember talking to him and kind of asking him, I was like, hey, so what kind of books are you guys going to put out? And, you know, and my first one was, well, are we going to get the Eternal Warrior? And, and, he, and at the time, they had announced only that they were going to begin publishing. And he had said, well, we want to see Eternal Warrior in his own book, but he's going to be with Archer and Armstrong. And I'm like, okay, well, that's enough. I'm, I'm happy with that. And so I got down the ground floor with Valiant Entertainment. I bought the first issue they put out, New Exo Manowar, and I bought that. And that was quickly followed by Harbinger, Bloodshot, and Archer and Armstrong. And I've been following the universe ever since. I've kind of gone in and out on specific titles because with the exception of the original volume of Exo Manowar, most of their ongoings don't run indefinitely. They'll run maybe 12 issues or so, and then the the story will come to an end, and they'll put it on ice for a little bit and then bring it back, bring the character back either in a miniseries or a new ongoing. But, you know, they're kind of designed that way. It's not, you know, where they just keep publishing them. So this, so I've, I've been in on this one for a while, and as I said, they are my favorite current comics publisher and have been for quite a while. So I'm pretty well-versed on them. I haven't read every single thing by them, but I, I put them over to pretty much anybody I can, I can that will listen to me, honestly, so... So since since you were in on this on like sort of, as you say, like the ground floor, like since this is supposed to be, you know, the, the way they pitch this and one of the reasons why I, I was having everybody here read this was because they pitch it as kind of a new reader friendly comic event. Like as somebody who was in on it from the ground floor, like what are your thoughts on that? Like I, I kind of thought this would work for for new people and we'll find out a little bit because we've got some new people you know, on the show that are reading this for the first time. But as somebody who was, you know, I'd say more than me, a longtime reader of Valiant and, and Valiant Entertainment, like you you were reading like the newer stuff, like you just mentioned, like the, the Harbinger Bloodshot War, like a lot of stuff I'm yeah. not like super familiar with, right? Like, so what did you think of, of the way they tried to do this. Like, I, I, did you enjoy this? Like, do you, do, was there any sense of betrayal? Cause you were like getting in on some of the early stuff. And then w was this the, them trying to like scrap certain things and, and have a fresh start? Like what, what was kind of your take on it as a, as a reader that was long time and in on the ground floor of everything? Yeah. From, from that perspective, I think that it, they do an admirable job of it, honestly, because one of the things that I've always liked about the Valiant Entertainment is that generally speaking, they've got pretty strong continuity. They don't put out a ton of books each month, so it's relatively easier to keep the characters not only behaving consistently, have continuity of characterization, but also have continuity of events. And the other thing that helps is because there are several characters that are very long-lived in the Valiant Entertainment universe is that they can set stories when they need to set them. Galad is a great example of that. You can have an Eternal Warrior story take place pretty much any time you want. And Jeff Lemire would do the same thing with Bloodshot going forward from this. We'd have Bloodshot stories in the future. We'd have Bloodshot stories that were set during his time with Project Rising Spirit that were untold. Archer and Armstrong fall into the same category. Ivar the Time Walker as well. So the idea of them doing a story like this I thought was, was really good. And one thing I liked about this is that we already had had you, you mentioned Unity, the original Unity, which was the giant crossover from the original Valiant days. Valiant Entertainment used the name Unity as their super team. That was the combination of Exo Manowar, the Eternal Warrior, Livewire, and Ninjak. And Faith from uh, the Harbinger was with the Harbinger Renegades was with them for a short while as well. 
So we had already seen some of these characters interacting together. Ninjak was introduced in the pages of Exo Manowar. As I said, the Eternal Warrior was introduced in the pages of Archer and Armstrong. But this was the first time that we really brought everybody together. Specifically, Bloodshot really interacting with the Unity side of the Valiant Entertainment Universe. Because you, you mentioned Harbinger Wars, and that does involve Bloodshot coming into conflict with like Toyo Harada from Harbinger, from the Harbinger Foundation. But the idea of Bloodshot working with MI6 and working with the Eternal Warrior was really good. From a new reader's standpoint, I think it does a, a pretty good job. About the main thing I would say is that there are certain characters that are in here that we don't get any introduction to at all. Especially as we get into like the third the third issue, which is just fighting. But a good in, a good example is Livewire, who is a very important character in Unity. She gets very little to do, and we don't learn anything about her. I'm not even sure they say her code name. Whereas, you know, the, obviously the main characters, you know, Kay McHenry, Bloodshot, Eternal Warrior, even Ninjak to an extent, we, we get a little bit more about them. So I, I think it's a good introduction to some of the characters, and then maybe there's teases of some of the other characters. I don't know if any of you guys watched, Valiant did a web series with the outfit Bat in the Sun. They did Ninjak versus the Valiant Universe. Yeah, yeah. Which was basically, yeah, Ninjak was on the run. Yeah. Uh, basically, he had gone rogue from MI6, or appeared to have gone rogue, and so MI6 was sending the rest of Unity out to get him. And I watched that that series with my wife, and I really enjoyed it, and she enjoyed it too. She's like, but everybody is just so weird in this. Everybody's so different from each other. And she's, I, She said it was, it was like the Avengers on steroids. You know, some of the Avengers, you could see how they fit together. All these guys are just, you know, it's another 90 degrees away from each other. So there, there's a lot of different concepts all working together in Valiant. So that I thought that part might be a little a little vague or poorly defined for a new reader, but I thought in general it did a good job of giving you a subset of characters to read about, making you understand what their deal is, and then giving you a reason to care about them. Yeah, I think I think we'll probably get into like nitty-gritty details about like character designs. Like I I've, I've got some notes about things and some things I wanted to maybe ask you about later as we go, but I guess I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of easing into the pool like before I get into the deep end of the pool and and get to the the nitty-gritty here, but I I guess I'm 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 edging slowly. So I know I know Tony's read some Valiant comics before. So so he probably has more experience than Mike or Justin. So I'm I'm slowly going going down the the totem pole here and everything but like tony you you kind of did a crash course and you you wanted to come on and join us tonight so like what was your take on this how easy was it for you like to follow the story and like what do you think of the sort of the the way this has been sold is you know new reader friendly and then maybe just in general did you enjoy the story did you like it like you know what, what do you think of the valiant in general well i mean the valiant like you know I am not very familiar with like a lot of the newer stuff. I was more of an old school reader. Like I, I was reading it back when you and Luke, you know, said like in the early nineties, because Valiant, like before there was image, there was actually Valiant. It was the hot new publisher. Like Jesus wizard loved the shit out of some Valiant. Um, <laughs> that is that they did. <laughs> yeah. It was like crazy. It was like, read these. But when I was introduced to Valiant, I, I, you know, was reading robot, uh, Magnus robot fighter, the original Rye, which is where bloodshot came from. I, I'd gotten into Exo man of war. Who's also kind of a cool legacy character because like you were talking about timelines. He was originally like a barbarian and, you know, he mm -hmm. got the Exo man of war suit. So like you could do time shifty things with him too. As far as this miniseries goes, I think the writing was pretty on point. 
I, I enjoyed like a lot of the interactions. I, I, I I'm sorry. I, I have to bring this up, but man, did I get a Terminator vibe off Bloodshot? Like, oh yeah, really hard. You know, it's like he's like Sarah Carter, come with me if you want to live. You know, that kind of thing, which isn't bad. I mean, better than the fucking movies we're beginning. You know, with Gilad, it, it, it's hard maybe for a new reader to take him because if you're brand new, he's kind of a failure. But that's kind of his story arc. He's like this noble guy who fights to his you know dying breath, but he can't die. And you know one of his you know main you know and you know antagonists is the immortal enemy, who can't die either. Really, for some new readers that might be off-putting is like, man, this guy never wins. But I mean, he tries really hard. He's got a good heart, and you know he does win sometimes. You know he does have victories underneath his belt. I do miss the rockin' bitchin' like leather jacket he used to wear back in the old days. Yeah, I guess I guess I guess this might be a good time to bring it up since you guys have both mentioned it like i i and, and this is not to exclude mike or justin or anything but like this was something that i had in my notes where i i'm familiar with with the eternal warrior mostly from the the pre-valiant entertainment universe and as tony said the the bitch in leather jacket he has like the little you know he had the like the little shells on his shoulder and all that kind of stuff and and the other thing that i i liked about it is you you talk about how he can be a character in different time frames and they deal with the gilad that's in like 4000 ad as well and the way you would tell them apart you know it's it's not quite as you know, it, it's kind of like Superman, you know, Earth 2 Superman and Earth 1 Superman, where there's, like, <laughs> subtle differences. And with Gilad, like, one of them one of them has, you know, a cape and kind of a gray outfit, and he's the future version. And then the other one had, like, the bitchin' kind of blue leather and the, the you know, the ammo on his shoulder and all that kind of good stuff. But in both those instances, I felt like the dress very much reflected the modern era that they found themselves in, kind of like... To me, I mean, th- this is going to be an obvious go-to, but but the Eternal Warrior is very much like the Valiant Comics version of Highlander. You know, like it's a it's a person that you know is immortal and going through various times. But my first introduction, other than the Valiant to the Valiant Entertainment version of the Eternal Warrior, I know it's kind of long-winded, is the the Bat in the Sun, you know. A web series that that Luke brought up called Ninjak versus the Valiant Universe, and I just remember feeling extremely weird because it's like Gilad in the Valiant Entertainment. It's it's like if Connor McCloud was in the parking garage in the first Highlander movie instead of wearing the trench coat. It's like he had a little piece of his kilt and like a little piece of like a Roman armor and a little piece of like something else. It's like, it's like, he's this weird hodgepodge of past shit, but it feels like it's like, he's not dressed for the now. And I, I mean, maybe that's his deal in the new version, but I, I I just, there, there was that one, like, kind of like, I guess what you were talking about with your wife where like these, these guys are the Avengers on steroids. I mean, it's, it's like a weird feeling watching him ax guys that are, like essentially running around like trained assassins with Uzis, you know, and like like you know secret service suits, because because the two don't quite seem to go together, and and like or or even like in this, like you know they they have, I mean it's it's a it's a quick but I thought well done setup where they go through the different periods in history where Tony establishes that he's failed as a protector, right? And it's like the the the, the 
portion where they deal with the Crusades. It's like he's dressed like someone in the Crusades would be dressed like. But by the time you get to 2014, it's like he's got the bandolier of the Crusades, but then he's got like the axe from the Vikings or the coat from the Vikings or you know you know what I mean? Like like it's like it's like why are you not why are you not looking the part you're playing now exactly? Which I and and I think that was that was going to be a point where I was going to. I, I think this was going to be a point where I turned to Luke and been like, "Do you, do you know what's up with that exactly?" Like, well, yeah, well, you know, part of that part of that is the characterization. One of the differences between the original Eternal Warrior and the Valiant Entertainment Eternal Warrior is that if you read that Eternal Warrior series from the '90s, um, Galad was still kind of part of society. He, you know, he worked for MI6, but he, you, you would see him in the cities. He was, you know, taking missions for MI6. He was going around the world. He was still like a part of the actual modern world. Whereas Valiant Entertainment Galad, you know, the scene in in uh, in Iron Man when Tony tells Pepper that all there is is the next mission. Mm. That's Galad. All there is is the next mission. He has been doing this for so long that he has eventually started to kind of pull himself back from interacting with others. He kind of makes a reference, or actually Bloodshot makes a reference to it here, but it's similar to for Galad, is that he doesn't get close to people other than the Geomancer. That he that he has allies that he works with is more pragmatic than anything else. I don't know that he would call any of Unity his friend. There's a another miniseries that comes a little bit after this. Kind of the next big standalone miniseries was called Book of Death, where it involves Master Dark, trying to create a geomancer and then this the geomancer introduced at the end of this book whose name is tama she is threatened by it and so galad basically turns on all of unity and fights them because it, his mission is all that matters so i think that's kind of why now he's got a more pragmatic type of costume whereas you're right the old school one he looked the part all the time whereas now he's kind of just he he's become so distant i think from the modern world that he just he dresses like that you know it's just a hodgepodge of stuff he wears his his armor and his bandoliers and carries his axe but he still wears like you know modern pants and stuff like that and he'll still use modern weapons on occasion but he's always toting his axe to the point that when rob venditti who currently is writing hawkman and i think he i don't think his justice league his Justice league may have started over at dc he wrote exo manowar for years the original Exo Manowar was all Rob Venditti. He wrote the second Valiant Entertainment Eternal Warrior ongoing, which was called Wrath of the Eternal Warrior. And the axe was such a big part that in interviews, he talked about, Rob talked about how the axe was not just a weapon, but it was a tool, how it could do, it could be used to do this in the field. It could be used to cook food. It could be used to create shelter. And he's like, that's well, that's how important the axe was to Galat. Okay. So it, it's, he does seem the favorite in this, this miniseries too. That's like his go-to weapon, yeah. Yeah, always, yes. As far as the inclusion of all these characters in that one, you know, like Luke was saying, that big fight issue, I think everybody got kind of a good representation I know who Quantum and Woody is. That's one of my favorite Valiant books. I love those characters. That I was going to bring up because remember, remember when you got those trades at at Heroes Con? That that's partially. Remember when I tried to explain to you because you're like, "What's up with this other trade?" Like I thought I got them in order, and I was like, "Wait, these these two trades are from the original Valiant, and this other trade is from Valiant Entertainment." So you got you got one modern trade, and you got two like old school trades. So like that's something that I remembered where we were trying to figure that out. Yeah, I like you, you. You mentioned this character. I assume like the one I'm going to say is hit the name you mentioned. 
G-I-G-R, which I, I guess is supposed to be kind of like Geiger, maybe? I don't know. I don't know. I no, think, um, is, it, is it ginger? No, it's, ginger? It's ginger. Okay. Yeah, it's G, yeah, G, G-I-N-G-R. She. Oh, G-I-N-G-R, okay. Yeah, I say I say she with the air quotes up to the mic because Ginger is a, a like a sentient machine from an alien race that is a okay. member of Unity. Yeah, the Unity basically refer, refers to Ginger as a female, and they call her Ginger. Okay. But you see, you see, Ginger communicates in emoji basically. Yeah, yeah, that, that little the little skull face. Yeah, it's like Ur, kill. And then, uh, yeah, and then I, I, but then Eric, but I love Eric. She says the little skull face, and then Eric says, "I agree." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that just threw me because I have no basis for that character. I don't think she or whatever it is was in the original Valiant run that I remember. No, but apparently it's a very powerful unit because it, it technically delivers the killing blow as far as we know at point with Eric. I I, th- I think that's the only character who I kind of was a little salty about. You know what's funny? Like... Like I, I have to be, I have to be honest. Like even for me, like I pretty much followed this entire thing. But I remember for a long time until I started looking up the new Quantum and Woody, and and you bought that trade and stuff. I was like trying to figure out, I'm all, who's that Matt Murdock looking guy on the log? And then I realized, oh, that's that's <laughs> Woody. Like and I, I, I was so used to like you know the the pre Valiant Entertainment. You know, Woody had like the long kind of hippie hair and the goggles and the little, you know, kind of spandex jumpsuit with the jacket and all that stuff. So, like, when he was just, like, a dude in a suit, like, chilling with, like, negabands or whatever's going on there, I, at first, I wasn't entirely sure who that was, you know? Him and, and his brother get, like, suits in the beginning, and he does wear it, like, once as a joke, but he 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 he, he gets rid of the suit pretty early on because Woody's kind of a prick, and... Yeah. <laughs> He basically wanted to wearing a suit. He was like, ha ha, you wore the stupid suit. And like, his brother is more of a classic superhero in his mindset. So he's like, I like the suit, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. So there is that. The art is really good. I, I'm not going to dunk on a guy who can draw really well. But man, as far as like the new Valiant Entertainment, I, I am going to be kind of like a weird purist. I do miss that kind of painted coloring they used to do with like the old Valiant comics. I like yeah. the shooting and the gradients and stuff. Cause I remember like Exo Man of War and Magnus Robot Fighter. Like I said, it looked almost fucking painted. I mean, I know it wasn't, but it like whoever was the colorist back then, I don't know if it was just one guy or if they had like obviously different creators for different books, but they just looked, it just had like this really nice, like old school. It did look like, you know, kind of like the gold key, you know, like superhero stuff. And yeah, you know, it is new era. It's a new time. And this guy can de- obviously draw, but like, I just kind of missed that. I was like, oh man, it doesn't have that look. Yeah, just, just, I, just I, to just to jump on that real quick. Part of that was like, like you say, part of that was creative. It was by choice. Part of that was also symptomatic of the type of paper that they had and that they printed on. I mean, one of the things is that Valiant was of the major publishers back in the early to mid nineties was the most expensive one per issue. A standard Valiant issue cost two dollars and twenty five cents at a time that image on glossy paper was costing on average a dollar ninety five. Marvel and DC ranged anywhere from a dollar twenty five to a dollar seventy five for a standard issue. So Valiant, they because of their size, they didn't have the best printing, they didn't have the best paper. So part of that I think was a result of how they had to print it. Because I agree. A Valiant book, when you picked it up, it looked like a Valiant book until they until for many years, until really once like Joe Casada and Jimmy Palmiotti started doing Ninjak, 
where it started looking different. They started getting better paper and stuff like that. So I agree. Yeah, it, it, is a, it is a bit of a culture shock if you're used to the old school Valiant to see the shiny, glossy Valiant Entertainment style book. So I think we're we're finally at the moment of truth. So I, I guess I guess I'll I'll start with Justin, but we're gonna talk to Justin and Mike because they are the the fabled new reader, you know. So it's like I'm just wondering, like, like th- this was my choice, right? Like I I had a bunch of different bloodshot things to pick, and you know something that thematically dealt with bloodshot. So I'm kind of curious, like. Like, what did you guys think of this story? Did you like it? Like, what, what what's your what's your initial take on it, Justin? So, um, the other day on Twitter, well, as of this recording, it was the other day, the Golden Age Comics account, they asked, like, what are your comic blind spots? And I kind of laughed to myself because, like, Valiant, like, this is a huge blind spot. Like, I've barely read any Valiant books ever. So I kind of went into this, to this, like, pretty blind, and I really liked it. I, like, had a few questions about, like, some stuff, but, like, I I read all the issues, and when, when I got to the end, I was like, oh, that's it, it's over. Like, I kind of wanted, like, you know, two more issues of the story. Like, that, that that's how I felt about it, and I was like, oh, that's a good sign. Like, I, I, like, I enjoyed it that much, and, you know, you were talking about some of the characters. You kind of pinpointed one thing for me, like, the Eternal Warrior, you kind of equated him to the Highlander. Like, that's immediately what I thought of when I was, when I was reading this, because... You had all these different montages of him in different eras. And I was like, oh, he's like the Highlander. And, you know, it's like he's fighting like a nightmare version of the Kurgan and he keeps, you know, failing. Like, that's what I equated to in my head. Then, you know, Bloodshot, like, I don't know anything about Bloodshot other than, like, you know, listening to you and Tony talk about him. And I picked stuff up just, you know, tangentially like that. I thought he was really cool. I thought the story was really neat, like the way they used all these characters. I, I don't know. They didn't feel like the Avengers on steroids. They just felt like a bunch of like weirdo superheroes that I knew nothing about coming together. I Some of those like big battle scenes where you've got all these different guys in there, like I was like, okay, I think that's Clown and Woody. I was like, who is this not Deadpool looking guy? Like, is he, like, who is he supposed to be? And then like, there was like, I'm not trying to be mean, but like in some of those panels, it looked like there was a chubby Supergirl. Yeah, that's that's Faith. Like, like she's, I mean, she's kind of like, I don't know, heralded, renowned, infamous. Like, like that even as back as the original Valiant comic books, I, I think it was emphasized to the point where they were trying to basically she's the antithesis to the heavy metal female body if you will do you know what i mean like like there that that was her whole i mean it was very explicitly by design where they're like hey we're gonna show you know young 12 year old comic reader boys that that there there are female body types out there other than big tits and ass basically i think was the main you know like not to you know i'm not really putting a subtle point on it that's that was the the main notion essentially yeah yeah that Faith is a, she was a, a little bit more comic relief back in the day because her, the code, she, she calls herself Faith. Her code name technically is Zephyr and like Torque and some of the other members of the Renegades would refer to her as Zeppelin. Yeah. Back in yeah. the nineties. Now, like I said, she, she, she goes by like her code name. She, the code name she herself was Zephyr, but everybody just calls her Faith. I thought it was kind of, you know, like a clever girl type thing for like, you know, Flay or, you know, the eternal, you know, whatever, like, 
you know, his thing was like, oh, he, he brings out your nightmares and uses them against you. I was like, oh, it's pretty cool. Like, Bloodshot has no memory. So, like, I was like, oh, well, he's, he's going to kill this guy straight up. You know, a lot of times we do these kind of shows where we're like, yeah, I want to read more. Like, I genuinely I genuinely want to read more of these guys. Like, I'm kind of intrigued by Bloodshot, Eternal Warrior. Like, he seems really interesting. Like, Exo Manowar is pretty neat. Yeah. I, I have a question about him. Like, he was basically like, I'm here. And then he was like on another planet. Like, was that like a whole, like, we have to make Superman go to outer space while the Justice League fights to Sparrow kind I, of thing? I would think so. I mean, <laughs> I agree with that. Do you, Luke? Well, the thing with Exo is that he he is a member of Unity. And so he's usually on Earth. The character start, he, he's, uh, Tony made allusion to this. He's, a uh, I think, a, what, a sixth century Visigoth yeah, or something yeah. like that. Yeah, and he, and he is he is abducted by along with his whole clan, he is abducted by aliens and is a slave on an alien ship, and he ends up getting the the Shanhara, the good skin, which is the armor that he wears, which is actually sentient. And he comes back to Earth in the modern day. So he's usually on Earth, sometimes because he is one of the few valiant characters capable of operating in space. There'll be times where he is out in space, but he, his his adventures for the most part, take place on Earth because he has, it's a whole thing of where he is trying to reestablish a homeland for the Visigoths and he faces part of Romania and the UN comes in and says, yeah, dude, you can't just do that. You know, you can't just come in and say, this is our place and put people's heads on pikes anymore. This ain't, you know, <laughs> it's 21st century, man. Him being out in space, I think was more, that that was a little, because they say, I because Neville Alcott says, I think Exo, I think Eric is, out, is off planet and then he's there. So either, but they do say they spent $3 billion getting everybody together. So maybe they got a, maybe Livewire got a message to him and said, hey, Eric, get your ass back down here. You, you know what I was thinking too, Justin, was when you, when you mentioned Superman, you, you know what's interesting too, and you might appreciate this. I, I kind of feel like the, the difference between the original Valiant comics had all those licensed characters. I, I might even go so far as to say there is no Superman in Valiant Entertainment because that's like Solar or maybe Magnus. And technically okay. Exo is like having Alan Scott Green Lantern deliver the KO to, um, what was that dude's name? Like the, the uh, Mr. American What's-His-Nuts in uh, the Golden Age. Like, do you, do you remember that? Like, the were, uh -huh. like so it was like instead, yeah. of, instead of Superman coming in and laying the smack down at the end, they decided like, oh, well, who of... The, the Golden Age JSA would step up to the plate and be the strongest one if Superman wasn't around. And they're like, well, duh, Alan Scott, you know, like the, to, so to me, like what this miniseries felt like was when Exo delivers like the KO with Ginger, you know, like th that to me felt like Alan Scott, like delivering a KO because like there is no, you know, post-crisis, there is no Superman in World War Two. You know what I mean? Like that kind of notion. Right. They, there is a we do have a, a god-like character in Valiant, and his name is Divinity. He's a Russian cosmonaut who went super, super deep into space and got these you know tremendous godlike powers. He is he's a close approximation to the level of power like Solar used to have. But Divinity, at the time that this book is published, Divinity has not been published yet. Because I, it would be interesting to see if Divinity usually doesn't take an interest in this sort of thing. He's the typical, like, detached, super-powered, godlike being. But Divinity could simply just, you know, wipe him out of existence type of thing. He's almost like like a cosmic character type of thing. And you know, you know where he shows up? He shows up at Quantum and Woody. 
<laughs> but but yeah, like I was interested in these characters, especially like Bloodshot protecting this new GM and so chick. Like when she got slashed, I was like, oh no, like I don't want her to die. Like it, it seemed like they were developing uh, a genuine friendship. Like it it wasn't it wasn't a typical like oh we're gonna fall in love immediately like in an action movie. Like you know we have to accelerate it. So we got some intrigue going on. But it seemed like they. They were bringing interesting things out of each other. I don't, when she was dead, I was like, oh, shit, is she really dead? And then at the end, it was like, you know, Bloodshot continues and Bloodshot Reborn. I was like, well, I want to read that. Like, I want to know where the story is going. So uh, yeah. your, your evil, nefarious plan succeeded there. Like, I want to read more of this. Yay. I, I, I mean, I, I will admit, I mean, like I said, I did end up reading Bloodshot Reborn after this. And I, I started reading some of Bloodshot USA. But like I said, I kind of got sidetracked. But I mean, I did I did enjoy a lot of that. I was kind of I was trying to explain to the guys when I was reading it in, in real time. And I, I don't know if you'll agree with this or not, Luke, but there, there was that one arc where I felt like Jeff Lemire was doing like old man Bloodshot, you know, like old man Wolverine, where it's like him and Ninjak or like like in this dystopian future, like palling around kind of like old man Wolverine and, and like Hawkeye were in that story arc, like kind of felt that way to me. And I kind of, I, I had, I don't know. I mean, I, I like the Valiant characters, but I think I had less of a, you know, where, where I read, you know, old man Logan and I had a lot of adverse reactions because it was a lot of, you know, shock jock, you know, Mark Millar type stuff going on in that. Like I, it was, it was less of that in the bloodshot arc because I was kind of like, well, one, I'm not, I'm not so strongly tied to versions of the characters that I become, I guess, easily offended when, you know, you've got, uh, you know, I don't know, the red skull wearing captain America's mask or whatever craziness is going on in that arc, you know? And then, and then on top of that, I just, I think I, I'm, I'm more forgiving of, of variations on these characters than I think I would be of, you know, I guess like Marvel or DC characters. Like I, I think I'm more willing to sort of roll with the punches and everything. Yeah. Well, the, just, just two things. What real quick, as far as K McHenry, all I will say about Bloodshot Born is that the, the friendship and relationship between Bloodshot and K McHenry does play a, a very important role, especially early on in that series. I won't spoil anything else, but I will say that. So that if you liked the two of them together in this book, that plays directly into what Jeff Lemire does in Bloodshot Reborn. I was going to ask this. This is, I guess, just the old school comic reader in me, and I could be completely wrong. And if I am, like, tell me. And if it's a spoiler, I'm not spoiling. I haven't read anything like really with New Valiant. This is just a guess summation idea. So at the end, we see like, you know, Kay's gravesite and the, the flowers are wilting and dying. And like to normal people, it's like, oh, well, this is just like the like a, a visual thing of like the new dark age because the immortal enemy won. And I'm like, OK, well, you know, OK, I, I can see that visually. But I'm also like, Kay pulled the nanites out of Bloodshot. Did it just they just go nowhere or are there nanites in K now? What I will say is that where the nanites are is the the major driving purpose of Bloodshot Reborn. Okay. So yeah. that that I'm I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm <laughs> it, I'm just I'm not I'm not going to spoil it because it actually is it, it what it turns into is something very I, again if I if I describe what it is that'll spoil it but it's it um it's where where those nanites end up is the is the is the mystery that drives why that book exists. 
Okay. Okay. Since we're talking about K and Bloodshot, I did just want to throw in one of my notes because it seems appropriate now. But like, and and this is mainly probably for Luke, and and might be for Tony a little bit because they'll have the reference for it. But it's interesting, you know, because K McHenry is kind of like the modern update of of Jeff, right? Like from the 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 original Valiant comic. So you know, they kind of did a did a gender swap and, 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 and kind of updated the character and all that kind of stuff. But like, I even thought like this mini series, like I was thinking about it when I was rereading it again for the show. And I'm like, it's interesting because Bloodshot's defending Kay McHenry. And even in that initial original appearance of Bloodshot in the original Valiant, like that moment where like Bloodshot, awakens on the operating table and like he actually like kills all those guys and it's almost like he i mean he, he kind of saves jeff McHenry. you know what i mean like like i thought i thought if you just extrapolate that little sequence from rise zero you know that little quote-unquote origin sequence of the original bloodshot where he first kind of awakens you know on the operating table it's almost like this is this entire miniseries is almost like a a modern take on it, you know, giving it more layers and giving them a relationship and, and all that kind of stuff. Like that's kind of, I don't know. That's just something that dawned on me when I was, when I was reading this, you know, again for the show. Yeah. I, I think that there's some insight there, Derek. I, you know, that what I always kind of compared that, both that little story in, in rise zero and this, and Kay comes basically right out and says it at one point is that, you know, the geomancer speaks for the earth for about the natural world both versions of bloodshot but especially this version of bloodshot there's nothing natural about him anymore he is the artificial world and so you have the artificial and the natural and you have the that the artificial is protecting the natural and it's it's it seems like it shouldn't like it should be an alien concept but that's that's bloodshot you know like i said there's all all there is for bloodshot is like he says i shoot stuff i <laughs> you, you don't talk much do you nope you know at, uh, I think there, there's a deleted scene where uh, she goes, well, what do you think of Galad? He goes, he's still a buster. Oh, wait, no. That's not <laughs> <it>. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing I, I really like in this with uh, with Bloodshot and Kay, when they're in the mall, they go into one of the department stores because he says all the, all the other stores are just little boxes and they're traps. So we see them going through the department store. And where do they end up? In housewares kitchens beddings and we see the toys and the baby stuff and jeff lemire and if you get the the trade paperback of the valiant which if you don't have the single issues i highly recommend the trade because it is all four issues plus about 20 pages of alternate covers and page progressions and commentary and all this and it's 9.99 one of the great things about valiant entertainment all their first volumes which is usually a volume one it might be a volume zero like faith it's volume zero because you get a miniseries before her ongoing their first volumes for each character and that includes almost all their miniseries are 9.99 instead of 14.99 so it's a great introductory price but Meyer makes a great point here he talks about them walking through like i said walking through the department store he says, as, so as they walk and talk, we see housewares in the kitchens, the beds, and baby stuff, an entire domestic life together secretly unfolding in the background. The idea was that Kay and Bloodshot hide out in the mall, and as they walk through the mall and talk, we are seeing the domestic life they could have had if their life circumstances were different. So I completely missed that the first time I read this until I read that. And then now, now, you, now I can't unsee it, that that's where they're walking through. And it's like, 
damn, sometimes, you know, sometimes you get these comic book writers who consider themselves auteurs and that they're the smartest guy in the room and that if you don't like their stuff, you're just not bright enough. Tony, I think you mentioned Mark Millar, you know, or Derek, if anybody, you. <laughs> yeah, stuff like that. It's like, man, sometimes they are pretty damn smart and they are pretty clever. And I, and, and as a reader, I didn't get that. And now it's, it's such a wonderful little thing in the background. Yeah. So not to, not to leave out Mike, like this, this is also his first, I think, you know, other than I think the Shadow Man issue, I, I mean, am I wrong? Like, have you read any other Valiant comics other than this and the, the Shadow Man thing that we covered? Absolutely not. <laughs> so, so what's your what's your take on this? Does this the the is this bill of goods sold? Like, is this new reader friendly for you? Like, how how was this for you? Well, like I said, yeah, like Valiant comics were. You know, something the wizard was always like, you know, pushing like all the time. Oh, yeah. They they were pimping the shit out of us. Yeah. And I, I think I kind of violently rejected them because of that. Like, I'm like, I don't care about the, these this third party, like whatever. Like, give me, you know, I only paid attention to the Marvel and DC news in that magazine. And let me be honest, like the the valiant character that I know the best is Exo Man of War. And to me. He is the guy you would have to be if you lost the rock, paper, scissors when you were playing Iron Man and Exo Man of War on PlayStation. <laughs> so, like, when I, you know, with my cousins, I'd uh, be like, okay, who gets to be Iron Man? And it was like, well, rock, paper, scissors for it. Oh, I got it. I have to be Exo Man of War. God damn it. Like, okay. But, hey, to be fair, that was a terrible game all around. No it, it was a terrible game, but we had nothing better back in the time. Yeah, that was, yeah. that was, that was, that yeah, was, that was pretty awful. But, yeah, yeah. like, but, however, I agree that this like new reader friendly, like they completely succeeded because like I was like hooked in from the first issue. I I think all the information you needed to know was presented very clearly. Like I, I didn't know anything about like the immortal warrior or like any, any of these characters really. And like they, they basically lay out exactly what his deal is like, what what the deal like i don't know what a geomancer is but i know what like role she plays in the store or what role they play in the story like you know that the, the immortal warrior protects them and like you know i i was an, like instantly connected to them like both both of those characters through that like first series of flashbacks where it showed how many times he had failed to protect the geomancer and like I, i'm like tony said i mean yeah he's kind of like it it seems like he was kind of a failure, but I, I also like got a sense of like, I don't know, like, like I felt bad for him, I guess. Like, and it like, even like one of the later like geomancers, he fails to protect, like even like the immortal enemy is kind of like, you know, like, Oh, here we are again. Like you're going to fail again. And this time he, you know, and he was like, no, I'm not going to fail this time. And then he does. And he's completely like broken by it. And so I, like, I was like, completely connected to him it's funny because then like you know she's protected by bloodshot then for the, the like majority of the miniseries and like yeah again their their relationship is quickly established i mean i don't know a whole lot about bloodshot but like i think tony said like you know he's i also got the vibe of like he's like the terminator almost where he's like at least in this story where his role is protecting her and like basically being an unstoppable like you know war machine but unfortunately the enemy is also practically unstoppable so you know you get the, the unstoppable you know object the unstoppable force meets the immovable object but 
you know, their their roles are kind of like swapped because they're constantly moving and he's chasing them. You know, as it went on, yeah, I was kind of like hoping. I was like, oh man, like I hope, like I I like Kay, like I hope I like Kay. I hope like she doesn't die or anything. And then like Justin said, when she did, I was like, oh no, like they failed, like again, like and. Like, I kind of felt, like, the Immortal Warrior's, like, frustration when, like, they were like, only you can open this box. And he was kind of like, you know, they, they were trying to figure out what the timer was. And he was like, why am I wasting my time here? I should be out there, like, protecting, like, the Geomancer. Like, what am I doing here? And, like, I was like, what is he doing here? What is this? Like, what, what you know, what the hell is the timer? Like, what's, and then, you know, there was a kid inside the box. And I was like, what the hell does this mean? And then she died. You know, <laughs> that, and is that like he got a baby Yoda? There you go, I did it for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, son of a bitch, he worked it in somehow. Like... Tony has been asked to resign from Phantom. Like the news got you too, oh, didn't they, Jack? Uh, immediately. Uh, God damn. Uh, uh, so I'm um, I'm just gonna take a brief moment to congratulate myself. I am not a failure. I have succeeded. Yeah. Anyway, I feel pretty good about that. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of happy because I do like the Valiant characters, and I wanted to pick like something for you know your guys's introduction to it. So uh, so I'm glad you guys both enjoyed it and everything. Like I'm 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 happy with that. I've got like some more notes about things if you guys want to go into it. The the thing I was gonna bring up is I and I don't know if anybody else noticed this, but one. One thing I felt like was when they got into the immortal enemies kind of demonic design, like like that to me reminded me very much of Spirited Away. You know, like mm-hmm. the the white and the red and everything. Mm-hmm. Like that that's something that you know it, it, it evoked that, and I thought that was kind of interesting because they they also have that moment where you know Colin's mother, you know, when he's you know hit, you know, Ninjax hit with the the I guess the hopelessness ray or whatever you want to call it that the immortal enemy hits people with like he has that moment where she's like the yokai and everything and i thought i to me i was like slapping my head i'm like oh how cool is this like this totally fits in with you know me and justin's yeah. whole routine you know it, it 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 deals with you know the the gay 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 no kataro and it deals with the great yokai war and all this stuff that we've been talking about lately and and i think you know again there's another reference to to japanese folklore and culture and and all that kind of stuff so like that was and and i i thought oh i you know both those things seem to me to be you know related to sort of i guess you know japanese popular culture so i thought that was kind of like an interesting bit well it is kind of interesting that like the immortal enemy you know i just picked up on this now duh he he represents fear you know he's supposed to that's where he that's that's his wheelhouse he he makes you scared and i just realized like not only was Kay's version of it Mr. Flay, which is a, you know, fantasy character from a, like, you know, fairy tale, but he was also Grendel and he was also yes. a Minotaur. Yeah. Well, I, I think, yeah, I think he's, I think he's Baphomet there in the, yeah, in the Crusades. Bath- and then, yeah, he is, he is Grendel. And you see, Beowulf, Beowulf may actually be my favorite story of all time. So I do love the sequence with the Danes and, and, and Grendel where he's in the, 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 the hall. And he's killed yeah, all the all the like, men. Like, it's like is Grindel coming? And like you know, you know, Gilad's like, no, Grindel's not real. Something worse is coming. And then he opened the door. He's like, God damn it, it's fucking Grindel. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know the it's the full page here in issue three where we see all of the assembled heroes' fears, 
And, yeah. And it's th this is this this is there's some really great little character bits here, especially for some characters that otherwise don't get any actual development. There was like a character. It wasn't it wasn't Ninjack, but like uh, like I said, I'm not really familiar with the new guy universe. Like one of the characters is just like. His his mom or his wife died or something like that, and he was oh, like, "Oh, well, that's well, that yeah, that, that's Exo, that's Exo's dead wife." Oh yeah, because, yeah, 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 because yeah. All, because all of all of his people have been dead for thousands of years, for hundreds and hundreds of yeah. years. So Faith is a is accosted by the the corpses of her parents because Faith's yeah. parents died when she was a young girl, and so she went to go live with her with her aunt and her uncle, who got her into comic books. And that's why she became such a big fangirl is because she was into comics and sci-fi from living with her, her her aunt and uncle, which is why she, when she became a Psyot, she wanted to become a hero. So that's her whole life. It, it you know, she always said that she had like a conflict origin because her parents had to, her parents died when she was young. Or you see Obadiah Archer, he is being accosted by the, the satanic statue because his parents ran a... His parents ran a biblical-themed theme park, but they actually belonged to a group of secret uh, secret societies called the Sect, which was every conspiracy theory you've ever heard of is true. We see Punk Mambo is on the ground quivering because a giant Punk Mambo voodoo doll is stabbing herself through the stomach with a needle. And Punk Mambo, as her name implies, she's a mambo. So she, you know, she works with the supernatural and, and magic and, and voodoo. And so the idea of her stabbing herself with a voodoo doll to kill herself. I, I love the hard, the hardcore. The hardcore have, so they have cybernetic enhancements that allows them to load a single Psyot power one at a time. And when they go on a mission, they have a control agent back at base. And they'll say, okay, I need, I need shield. Okay, I load flight, load stun ram. And so now they're, they're being turned into living machines. We see yeah. the you see the colonel trying to rip the the cord out of his mouth. We see live wire with all the wires and everything coming into her like she is a machine because she's a technopath and can uh, understand and control machines. Vincent Van Gogh is eating quantum and you know, stampling the the quantum and Woody down, which I think is just great. It, 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 because like Woody loves Vincent Van Gogh, but I guess he's secretly scared of him because Vincent Van Gogh is a disturbingly powerful goat and he. Might be evil. They're not sure. He's a fucking goat, so they don't know yeah. what's going on in his head. Yeah. We see Mary Maria, who is the girl in like the full body suit with like the cross motif and the pigtails. That she is Archer's adopted sister, who he at this time he was still kind of in love with. She is like a assassin, like an assassin nun. She belongs to a sect of assassin nuns. So she is being dragged down to hell. And next to her, we see, you know, Dr. Mirage. Being her her husband being dragged down to hell, her dead husband. So it's all sorts of crazy crap going on here, which I think is great on this on this sequence. I I, I felt like at some point Justin was going to ask me about Vincent Van Gogh, like Bat Cow or Laurie Lamaris or something <laughs> like that. You know, it's like one of those things where you're like, dude, it's it's Vincent Van Gogh. Like what? Like of course. Yeah. But, uh, Justin, he's a genetically modified super goat. Come on. <laughs> it's like, what do you mean you don't know Vincent Van Gogh? Come on. Vincent, no, Vincent Van Gogh would make like a good fight with like Dupe from the later X Force or the Ecstatics. <laughs> They're kind of the same idea, you know. <laughs> that, well, that's that's how I know I read too many comics because I saw the goat, the goat, and I was like, well, of course. It does not phase Mike at all. He's just like, yes, there's no thigh beams. I don't care. I, 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 it also did make me laugh when. 
you know, again, Punk Mambo, who's this incredibly powerful Mambo and can do all these different spells and stuff. She throws a Molotov cocktail because she's also a British punk. She, she, yeah, you know, <laughs> it's like tremendous, phenomenal supernatural powers going to blow some stuff up. You know? <laughs> For a minute, I was like, is that Tank Girl? And I was like, she's not Valiant, is she? I was kind of <laughs> Actually, as we're recording this, Punk Mambo finished up a five-issue miniseries, which was quite good. If you ever get the opportunity to check that out, I'd recommend it. A lot of fun. Uh, another thing I thought would be worth mentioning is that this is basically my PSA, because I've, I've, I've made note of this in other series where... I usually find it upsetting when there are changes in the middle of a miniseries, and I kind of establish that if they're going to, like, switch up artists, like, they should find an in-story reason to do so. And I'm kind of like, this this miniseries? Like, they actually had Jeff Lemire do, like, the the littlest princess art sections, like when, when, when Kay is describing and or reading the storybook, like all that art is, is Jeff Lemire. And I'm, I'm kind of like, this is how you should implement different art styles. Like that's how it should be done. Basically. It, it like dark, I, I just want to got it. It was like a fairy tale book. It was well, like, yeah, that, that's, that's the whole point. It's, it's always going to be jarring when you switch art teams, but I think I think in the context of the story, they made the jarring element work for them within this. Like so if you're gonna do it, like this this is a textbook dictionary definition example of, of how you should do it. And I just I just wanted to praise that as 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 a something that was a storytelling decision and not something that was just done out of necessity where it was just like, whoops, uh we, we can't have Kenneth Roquefort draw the next issue. Let's just get somebody else to draw Ultimate Galactus. You know what I mean? Like, like that's that's the difference. Yeah, it wasn't bad. It, like, it, it actually helped the story. Her mind's eye of that story that she read when she was growing up. Yeah, actually, Lemire and Kent, they did four alternate covers for the series as well that are actually inter- four interconnecting covers that form like uh, a, a, a variant where we see the fight going on and we see Bloodshot and Kay in various states of distress. And then the last one is Mr. Flay at the end of it. So I, I've never seen those covers. They're in the gallery in the back of the trade paperback. That, 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 that is one thing I will say if you start reading Valiant um, on a month-to-month basis. If you, Valiant is a great company if you want to trade weight. They are very good about collecting pretty much everything in trade. I can only think of, there's a handful of like online digital exclusives that they haven't collected in trade. And then there is one miniseries that they said they would never collect and trade, and they still haven't, which is called Legends of Geomancer. I mentioned the Book of Death earlier. Legends of the Geomancer was a companion series to Book of Death that told the origin of the first Geomancer. And they said at the time, like, if you want this, you have to get the single issues. We will never reprint it. And they still haven't. So I did actually track those down when they were coming out. They were kind of hard to come by. But pretty much everything else is in trade, so I recommend it. It has the, the gallery of all the covers and all that in the trade material in the back here. So, so basically what you're saying is we will never find out what a Geomancer is. <laughs> They're out there. I mean, you you can find those issues. I said it's just it's just if you're expecting to get it for ten bucks at a con, you're out of luck. Oh well. <laughs> also note them as as super positive things. Like I think I think one of my favorite moments, like we talked about, you know, K and and Bloodshot and their moments. Like I think my favorite between the two of them is the whole like when she she eats the beef jerky out of desperation. You know, like I. 
I, I fucking love that where it's like, oh, I'm a vegan. I don't I don't eat that stuff. But then it's like he's like, it's really good. <laughs> and she's like, God damn it. You know, so like that. I, I love that scene. And then and then and then we, we you know, obviously this was mentioned in the intro. But like, I, I love the whole you can't explain what you are. <laughs> and he's like, explain what a geomancer is. And she's like, son of a bitch. Okay. <laughs> the other thing I was going to say is that everyone has has basically said how much they enjoyed the character McHenry in this. I'm going to recommend the first few volumes of volume one of Archer and Armstrong from Valiant Entertainment. That is where she is introduced. Um the you know we we've talked about how Galad is it comes across as a guy that fails a lot and it's actually it's it's funny he's kind of destined to fail because eventually the geomancer will die right and a new geomancer has to rise up so the first arc this I'm gonna spoil this just because it's really freaking funny okay the first arc of Archer and Armstrong ends with them accidentally killing a geomancer. <laughs> like, they save the day, and then something they did causes the geomancer to die. So the second arc opens with Galad chasing them down because he is really, really, really pissed at his brother for doing this. That's the thing is, like, you know, like, we could pick on Galad, you know, for, like, not doing his mission, but he tries really hard. And Armstrong throughout his entire existence in like the comics universe has a penchant for fucking up pretty royally. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, the thing, the thing with Galad is that he, he does succeed tons of times, but eventually he's going to fail. And eventually the geomancer is going to get killed. And those are the ones that haunt him. You know, he, he's a yeah. guy that, that never thinks about all the things that they've done. It's only the things that he failed to do. Another, we, we see a character very briefly here in the big fight scene, starting the third issue. He's the guy in the brown suit and the red hair all the way to the right of the two-page spread with the laser gun. That is Ivar the Time Walker. That is the third of the three immortal brothers. So he is the oldest brother of young of younger brother Galad and middle brother Armstrong. He is the oldest, and he is a time traveler because of the naturally occurring time portals that he has a map to that he can jump around endlessly. In his mini series, in his ongoing series, excuse me, Ivar Time Walker, at one point he's going on a mission and he recruits Galad and Armstrong separately by promising them he's not going to go talk to the brother. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, Armstrong and, and Galad have a yeah tenuous relationship. Yeah, yeah. and and, it, and he, it's funny because he says the same line because he goes to see Galad. Actually, it's funny. It's it's in like thirty nine ninety eight, and Galad is like living in the wasteland on Earth, and he brings him five guys. <laughs> and, and Galad he, 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 goes, he, goes, yeah, he brings he bring the five guys Galad's like are these spicy fries and Arbor's like I'm not even going to answer that question but uh, but says he goes okay I'll do it on one condition I, I don't want Aram he goes I'm not even going to talk to him and then it cuts him talking to Arm goes, I'm not even going to talk to Galad <laughs> I did enjoy the uh, the original Ivar and Armstrong issues those were pretty fun Oh yeah, yeah. The anytime you get all those guys together, it, it's a hoot. And and like I said, the early Archer and Arm, you, we've talked a bit, a bit about Quantum and Woody. Archer and Armstrong has kind of the same kind of goofy buddy adventure vibe to the yeah. point that there was actually a crossover series called The Delinquents, which paired up Archer and Armstrong and Quantum. Oh, and wow. Woody, which is which it, it happened basically after both of their series had ended, and so they need they it, it kind of like was an epilogue to both their series and it put them together and it's, it's freaking hilarious because you've got, you know, Archer and quantum who are all trying to do the right thing. 
and then right. you know Woody and Armstrong who are just you know you know enabling each other. I mean, I guess if Eternal Warrior is like the the Highlander of the Valiant Universe, I guess like Ivar is kind of like the the Doctor Who of the Valiant Universe. That that is. That is exactly correct. That is 100% correct. There is an issue of Ivar Timewalker called Let's Not Go Kill Hitler. Right. Hey. I guess Armstrong would be like Fat Thor from Endgame. <laughs> Armstrong, is like, Armstrong is like your really bad, the, the uncle that you love, but you know is a bad influence on you, basically. Oh, you shit, know? he's me. <laughs> <laughs> Armstrong is Tony Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> They're like, I'll, I'll come have spicy fries with you as long as you don't talk to Jackson. And then he's like, we're talking to Jackson. <laughs> yep, they come into my house and I'm just like, let me light a cigarette and we can talk. But yeah, like, I, I did want to interject. I, I, I too really like Valiant. I think it's a, it's a good stable of characters. In the early days, despite Wizards, like, you know, much fluffing of the <laughs> company, like telling you to buy all the books and drying up the prices. Even then, they were really good. But Jim Shooter, I mean, he's a good guy, man. He like he, he took editorial control, and he, he did some good shit with that company. A lot of good stories from back then. And, you know, um, I, I feel bad that a lot more people haven't tried Valiant, you know. And with the with this, like, you know, reader-friendly introduction, dude, like, like, Justin and Mike are like, you know, like, I'm interested. So good on them for, like, you know, getting more readers in. So that, that's pretty yeah. awesome. Yeah, and, and the thing, and you're right, Tony, with, with the, I, I get it all the time over on Tuchu Freaks, which is where, uh, not not to plug my stuff, we'll do that later, but I, I am one of, in fact, I'm the second youngest person on that network, and so I am constantly, every time I, like, I brought a, every, if I bring a Valiant book to Back to the Bins, it's like, really, Valiant, you know, it's like, what are you reading that for? It's like that doesn't have like John Byrne or Jim Aparle on it, you know. <laughs> so and it's like, and not not that I hate against any of the guys because I love Marvel and DC and all that, but I, again, it's it's if you weren't the right age, you don't necessarily you may have been too you may have been older and thus look down your nose at Image and Valiant, especially Image, but but look down your nose at Valiant. Or if you were too young, you may have missed the cultural zeitgeist of what that was. And now you have this opportunity to get into the modern Valiant, which is very much a modern you know, forward type of comics company, especially in their storytelling and their presentation, how they handle collections. One thing I love about the Modern Valiant, like the standard story length at Marvel seems to be six issues. At Valiant, it's either three issues or four issues. So, you know, it's you get more stories per year just that way. If you get 12 issues of a book, you get three arcs instead of two. I believe as of, this was a couple of years ago at SC Comic Con up here in Greenville, South Carolina. Valiant always has a presence at SE Comic-Con, and they always have a panel. And who was it? It was one of their, it might have been Warren Simons, who's the VP editor-in-chief. I'm not 100% sure if it was him, though. He made the point that this was, I think, two years ago. Up to that point, had never shipped a book late. Ever. Yeah, yeah. They were, they, they were, they were, they were pretty good back in the day on getting their books out yeah. on time. So, yeah. so this, yeah. So, like, you know, if you're, you know, yeah, I mean, I've, I've, that wasn't their fault. <laughs> no, definitely was not their fault because the books all made it out on time. The the valiant books were on time. Yeah, it was, if you go, it was, it, it was, it was my bro Rob Liefeld on on the Twitters well, that had the late book. <laughs> yeah, well, not it's not just him. I mean, it was all the, I mean, all the, yeah, all three of the books true. came out late. I mean, my, I mean, if you that's go, true. if you go, um, if any of y'all with the podcast, I just gave away my South Carolina necessary. I said any of y'all. If any of you is uh, familiar with the podcast, all the pouches, 
that John Wilson does where he's taking a chronological look at image comics. Uh, I guest starred on a few episodes of all the pouches where we talked about it. And my favorite real life death mate story is that Bob Layton, you know, he was the editor in chief of Valiant, the old school Valiant when that was going on, they were trying to get the death mate prologue out. And there's a section in the death mate prologue done by Rob Liefeld. And they were going to miss the deadline. If they didn't get his pages to the point that Layton flew to California showed up at Rob Liefeld's house and then stood on his front stoop and waited for him to finish the pages so he could take them and ink them in the hotel room that night. Wow. <laughs> That's not <laughs> Awesome. I mean, could you imagine? It's like, Rob, Bob Layton's on the porch and he looks pissed, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you don't to draw feet, Rob. We know you don't draw them anyway. Hurry up. <laughs> You know, and and the really sad thing is, you get it if you get a chance to look at that Deathmate prologue, the back half of it by Rob Liefeld looks really, really good. So it's like it's like some really good stuff from Liefeld with Leighton inking him. Like he does a he does a page of the hardcore, and it's like wow, I I would love to see Rob Liefeld draw a hardcore book. You know, I've I've come to the conclusion that I think of Rob Liefeld as the idea man. You know, he's got some great concepts and stuff, but then like you look at the first couple of years of Image, once he hands you know, the reigns of Youngblood and Brigade and Prophet and Supreme, once he hands them off to the other guys in his studios, those books come out on time. Yeah, and they're, they're, they're I mean, they're actually better. Yeah, they, they I mean, there's, there's, there's some ups and some downs, you know, yeah. some, some books are better than others, but it, once they get a, a consistent creative team, he, he kind of gets the idea, sets the stage and says, okay, now go, and then the books work. So it's like, there's yeah. something to be said for that. <laughs> But yeah, but if you want to get into being a valiant reader, it's very, now it's very easy to do. If you want to read one character, you can just buy their title and get their story. There's not they don't do like interbook crossovers. Like an issue of Bloodshot's not going to cross over into an issue of Livewire or something like that. If they do a crossover, it's going to be a miniseries. And usually then, if the characters are involved, their own book may reflect it from a different point of view. You know, like Obi Wan Kenobi type thing to me they're they're the most most reader friendly major superhero publisher that's going on today in my opinion valiant should have like a new like marketing strategy it says valiant we have no doomsday clock <laughs> I, I don't know which one is worse doomsday clock or shazam it seems like every time i go yeah. to yeah n- news around it's like shazam next issue delayed another four months i'm like four months he's like it's like I know. It's like it can't be Jeff Johns. He's usually pretty quick. It's like who yeah. the hell's drawing this? Addy Granov? Come on now. <laughs> I'm it's waiting on issue too. three of, Viva, of Iron Man Viva Las Vegas. By the way, Marvel. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> it's been oh, two weeks. I've got one page done. <laughs> oh god! <laughs> I forgot about that. I, well, you know, I, I will say this. You know, Addy Granov. Obviously, you know, I I I'm a big fan of Addy Granov's work. I don't think he's suited to doing interiors just because of how long it takes him to do stuff. But, you know, John Favreau, he might have one or two other things going on besides that comic. I totally get that. I really do. So <laughs> this is the way he's too busy with all that baby Yoda stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, yeah. thought Favreau would be too busy, like, you know, taking baths and, and money and stuff like that. So. Well, well, I, I figure uh, Adi Granov, you know, like. Once he's getting all that money in from doing that fucking Iron Man pose, which every fucking Marvel character does now, he's like, I'm rich. Fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> Superhero landing. Superhero landing. Yeah. yeah. He started it. I called it the Granoff pose like 10 years ago. And I'm like, yeah. 
It's the grandma pose. That's like on the cover. Yeah, but, but no, you, you would do well to you do the do the Alex Ross thing. Just do covers, man. You're, you're yeah. great at it. Just do covers or like you know prestige books that it's a one shot. When it comes out, it comes out and it's done kind of thing. You know. Yeah. See, that's 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 what I think of when like Roman Reigns does his entrance. Like I'm like he's doing the Iron Man pose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice callback. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. <That's> <laughs> <laughs> We're going off in all so many different tangents. It's the big dog, big dog, the big dog. I, I just call that dull surprise. That's the only you know <laughs> facial expression that Roman Reigns had. <laughs> dull surprise. Now, now we're flashing back to like Dreamwave Transformers comics when I was in college. <laughs> 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 yeah, just it should be called DS. Dull surprise. Dull surprise comics. <laughs> Uh <laughs> cool, cool. Well I'm 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 glad you guys all enjoyed this yeah. and everything. Like I think the 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 only other thing I was gonna say before we sort of sign off and, and give Luke a chance to, to pimp and propagate and promote his wares was I know Tony mentioned that sort of Rye was one of the series that was sort of the beginnings of Bloodshot, like Bloodshot's kind of an offshoot of that character. And it reminded me like I, I read I think the what was it like four thousand one AD or whatever, like there was yes. the, the one with like Clayton Crane did the art on it, and I remember I I, I liked him a lot from like X Force and, and stuff like that. So I remember that was probably with the exception of I, I was just thinking, oh, I think I only read Bloodshot comics from Valiant Entertainment and the Valiant, but I it kind of made me remember like, oh yeah, I, I read that four thousand one AD series as well. So yeah. that was something else that like if you're if you're into Bloodshot, if you're into Rye, like Tony was mentioning, that that might be something that's that's fun to check out as well that I think we hadn't, I, I don't think anyone had gone into so far. As far as Rye and 4000 AD, yeah, Clayton Crane, I think, does the art on the Rye ongoing series that then leads into 4000 AD, and then following, or, or 4001 AD, and following 4001 AD, there was a miniseries that just recently wrapped up called Fallen Earth, which deals, that that is, and now Rye is getting a new ongoing following uh, Fallen Earth. So, like it was in the 90s, there's a whole section of the Valiant Universe that takes place in the 41st century, and is complete, and, you know, other than characters like Galad, because he's immortal, most of it is kind of off on its own, but it does have the the legacy connections to characters like Bloodshot. So that, again, it's it's more of a more of a science fiction type stuff, but still a lot of action and and super heroics. Is there a new version of Shadow Man in this universe? Yes, there is. Shadow Man was one of the kind of the second wave of titles. So there has been a, there's been two Shadow Man ongoing series. Actually, it's very odd. For a while, Shadow Man was taken over by his Loa and became kind of a villain. So there's a series called Rapture, which involves, actually, uh, yeah, involves involves the, the evil version of the Shadow Man called the Magpie. And actually, the, the Geomancer from the end of the Valiant, Tama, is involved in some of those stories as well. So there is some Shadow Man stuff out there. There's the dead side is where that that's kind of the, the afterlife in the Valiant universe. So characters like Shadow Man and Punk Mambo tend to play in that that corner of the universe and Dr. Mirage as well. Except for so those gold key characters and the some of the supporting characters from the gold key. So like Erica Pierce has not appeared. Eric Mother God has not appeared because she was originally in Solar and haven't done anything with an Erica Pierce type character. Image Comics formed in 1992 by several creators unhappy with their current place in the industry. So they band together to make a new comics company for a new generation of readers, creator-owned mutants. 
cops, black ops government agents, demon possessed, and they are going to be the greatest comics ever. In April of 1992, the first issues hit the stands, and fandom resounded with cries of... Pouches? Why are there so many pouches? What? You don't like pouches? All the Pouches, an Image Comics podcast, is one fan's exploration of those early years of Image Comics. Youngblood, The Savage Dragon, Spawn, and more, with maybe even a few pouches along the way. So come give a listen at johnreadscomics.com. That's John with no H. Just you can spell it right. Luke, where can people find you out there on the interwebs, man? Sure thing. If uh, you're not sick and tired of hearing my voice after this podcast, and I wouldn't blame you if you were. I I do a few other shows. They are all found uh, on the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which is available at twotruefreaks.com, T-W-O. T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S dot com. My first show is Earth Destruction Directive, which is a show about daikaiju, about Japanese giant monsters. Been doing this show for a number of years now, covering all aspects of Japanese giant monster culture. Uh, and I'm, it's my first and biggest fandom. I love, I've loved Godzilla since I was four years old, so I'm, I'm real big into that. I am one of the co-hosts on The Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror, along with Two True Freaks original Sunnywell, the hair metal hero Chris Tyler, and my brother Jason Giaconetti, where we take a look at primarily horror film, but we'll talk about other horror topics from time to time as well. We've done a few issues of Tomb of Dracula. We've done a few oddball things here and there, but primarily we talk about horror film. Right now we're in the midst of a series called The Horror Rack Hangers On, where we're taking a look at VHS horrors from the 1980s, things that you were growing up when I did, you would have seen in your local mom and pop video store in the horror rack movies like Sleep or Chopping Mall or Reanimator, to give you an idea. And I am also a co host on Get Back to the Wrestling. Finally, there is a podcast on the internet about professional wrestling. I host uh, this one <laughs> along with my brother Jason and the Hair Metal Hero, and we talk about all sorts of topics in professional wrestling. We just try not to be current. We try to be <laughs> as retro as we can because of the release schedule that we keep. So if you're interested in any of those, please head over to twotruefreaks.com and give them a listen. We got tons of different podcasts, so we'll, we're sure there'll be something over listening to fan holes that you'll enjoy over at Two True Freaks. If you guys enjoyed listening to this episode of Comics Motherfucker, do you read them? You can check out the backlog of episodes over on fanholespodcast.blogspot.com. In addition to this show, we have all kinds of other shows on the network. If you want to check out our proper show or any of the other shows, just head on over to fanholespodcast.blogspot.com. If you have any questions and or concerns if you're like knock it off with the the child jokes i'm not gonna call it that i'm calling it child if you want us to knock off that shit you can email us at fanholespodcast at gmail.com and we can be found on all kinds of social media we're on tumblr twitter instagram facebook we appreciate all the likes hearts shares retweets etc that we receive and until the next time this is going to be derek derek wc signing off hey it's mike signing off this is huckleberry hound signing off this is Sheldon, i'm a driver i'm not a driver i'm the buster i'm a bloodshot <laughs> Oh,
Luke, you got to turn off. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, this is Luke, Jack, and Natty saying thanks for listening to Grand Paul's Podcast. Show's over. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> All right. Any any last minute questions before we before we get this party started? What's a Nubian? Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What's a geomancer? <laughs> Explain to me what a geomancer is. Yes, that's beautiful. I love that. All right. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> Woo! Cool. Cool. All right. Well. I'm 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 here and in one piece, thankfully. So I'm 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 ready to do some some valiant stuff. And I was I was trying to convince like uh, most of these guys to read like valiant stuff. So I, I needed I needed some backup, you know, somebody who's read stuff before. And then I think yes. you've probably read more valiant entertainment comics than I have too. So I might like turn to you every once in a while and be like, "What the hell's up with this?" But um, <laughs> but yeah, I I wrote a synopsis. Um, I also have like the little you know, write up that they, they put in the, uh, I guess like the Amazon, whatever it is, you know, trade or that kind of thing. But right. I'll probably, I'll probably intro like the regular fan holes and then intro you and then go into the synopsis and then, you know, kind of usual routine, but it's kind of supposed to be the, the tie into, uh, you know, the Busta, you know, Vin Diesel's, uh, bloodshot movie, which I'm kind of sad about. Like I was looking forward to it and then I saw the trailer and I was like, Oh, 
he's not gonna like have any like face pain or nothing like i was like what like well I... from what from what like dinesh um uh i'm blank on his last name dinesh the former uh, publisher and who's the executive he's one of the producers of it that his final look is being kept under wraps oh okay maybe maybe we'll may. maybe we'll get lucky like the last 10 minutes he'll flame on or some shit and it's possible and, yeah okay yeah. well I, i'm gonna hold out hope for that and then i was gonna compliment you because I, I listened to earth destruction directive today and i was like i was like man you got a crystal ball dude because you're like you're like you're like, I don't know what's going on with Kong versus Godzilla, but I have a feeling it's going to be delayed. And I was like, yeah. preach on. Like, you, you, you're like, I'm not a Hollywood exec. I, I don't have any insight into this. And I'm all, fucking, hey, you don't. Like, you knew exactly what was going on. Like, I'm like, because I, I was telling Justin, like, the other week, I was like, oh, well, if we were going to do any Kong Godzilla stuff on the show, I'm like, I'm pushing it way the fuck back because it's, it's delayed. Like, so I'm not yeah, even going to worry about it. So. Yeah, well, I was I appreciate that because I was kind of annoyed that I I said that and then I published the episode and then a day later the news comes out. I'm like, are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> by, by the way, I, I, I was the guy who like three quantum and Woody trade paperbacks at the comic con. I'm just saying, come on. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I get you know I got to be honest, Tony. I I wasn't I wasn't a hundred percent sure that you were gonna you were gonna make this endeavor. So so that I, I know I know Justin and Mike have, have not been strong valiant readers. So I, this is basically supposed to be. I mean, you'll see in the thing that that the write up it's supposed to be like this is a new reader friendly you know series and stuff. And that's that's why I picked it. So that's all. So you're. I'm just kidding. I just kidding. Yeah. Thanks for doing this, Luke. You made this like a oh. billion times better than. than well, I, appre yeah, I appreciate yeah. you saying Thank that. You. Thank you so much for having me on. I, you know, I I, I said this to Nerd Destruction when I was doing an issue of Iron Man. I look for any excuse to talk about comics because I have become basically that Godzilla guy. So anytime I can talk about other things, it's a treat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Luke, whenever whenever you pimp the wrestling podcast, I always like crack up when you're like, finally, there's a <laughs> podcast about wrestling. <laughs> I know. <laughs> There's, there's not any at all. I mean, they're like it's so sparse out there. It's like not a oh, thing. Like you'd think that there'd be more. There's so many stories, but you know. <laughs> I mean, like like there's a dog across the street who started a wrestling podcast last week. It was, it was, <laughs> Let me tell you, his hot take on the Jim Cornette situation was oh man. But anyway. <laughs> well, you you didn't know uh, you. You didn't know Snoopy and Loki started a, a wrestling podcast yeah, behind her back. Uh -huh. They're recording it like right now. Absolutely. <laughs> Mike's got a wrestling Loki, podcast. He's always trying to body I was going to say, would so would like if the dog was doing it, would he really like Roman Reigns because he was in fact the big dog? <laughs> <laughs> oh, guys, I, I just looked. Uh, Baby Yoda started a wrestling podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, the, the child started a wrestling podcast. Thank you. Thank you. I ever tell you guys the story when I was at Heroes Con one year, and my buddies and I, we were walking from the convention center up to that big, um, it's like an open-air food a couple of blocks away from the convention center to get lunch. And the local CW station was there covering the show, covering the con. And so their news van was parked out by the convention center, right? And they had the door open. Well, on the <laughs> well, on the on the side panel of the van was Ellen, right? 
And then on the back door of the this big panel van was Oliver, and they had it opened, so it looked like Oliver was drawing a, a aim on Ellen. <laughs> and I'm like, man, I, I missed that episode of Arrow. I was like, Ellen DeGeneres, you have failed this year. <laughs> it's like, Oliver, what's the problem? We've always been friends. What? I'm not Oliver Queen. What are you talking about? <laughs> Like, oh, sure, Ollie, you disappear for five years, you come back, next week a blonde guy is shooting people with arrows, but it's not you. Okay, sure. <laughs> Me and Luke, we had some fucking, uh, you know, kebabs and some fucking... <laughs> Fuck yeah, man. Pita House, baby. <laughs> the the oh, yeah. Pita House that, that wouldn't accept my tip money. Like, wouldn't they, accept your tip. Like, they ran out after you. No, no. No, no monies. Here's the monies. Believe, believe it or not, I, I needed that money by the end of the trip. So, you know. <laughs>